When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. And McCusick. Uh, interesting t- thing I wanted to try was to reach out to some of the fans of the show and uh, got some good ones here uh, to talk about their biggest fear for the 2020 Ravens. And the season coming up, very deep team, very balanced team in terms of a lot of uh, uh, skills. But we're joined by probably the biggest single fan of the show over the years, uh, <laughs> Marine Sergeant Garnet West, formerly of, of Okinawa, now at Lejeune, North Carolina. How you doing, Garnet? I'm doing good. As you would say, life is good. So I can't complain. How are you, Ken? Life is good. I, I'm. Uh, we, everybody's healthy. You're doing good on that. I've got to ask that every time we, we talk to someone these days. Uh, yes, we're doing great. Uh, 
crazy story I forgot to tell you before, though. Um, I had a guy that I worked with. He has a, ro- a roommate. And uh, they both got, well, he got tested first. His roommate got tested, I guess, maybe a week and a half later. But his roommate caught the coronavirus. And we're like, everybody, I, I went out for a little business for like about 20 minutes. I get back. My, my boss is like, hey, whatever you got to do, get it and go. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then um, somebody told me, like, yeah, hey, there's a chance that he might catch the corona. I'm like, oh, wow. So just to throw that out there, people, please practice, you know, the distancing, social distancing. Just because we're starting to uplift it a little bit, still practice it, please. And that's all. Keep your hands washed. There you go. Yes, sir. Please. All right, so Garnet, tell us what your what your issue is. You're you're first up at the plate here about about uh, the 2020 Ravens. What are you most concerned about? Uh, my biggest issue is route concepts and just uh, uh, adapting to what receivers do well and adding it to our uh, our plays. And uh, the first thing I would like to say, well, to give an example, is a uh, perfect example is Miles Boykins. I know we're all, everyone, even Eric DeCosta was on it saying that he's going to have a breakout year this coming up year. Um, everything, everybody's saying, you know, seeing the big thing, the big step is coming, as everyone would say. And the one thing that sort of worries me is, like, it's there, I believe he can do it, but are we going to help him by adjusting to his, uh, his skill set? Yes, yes, he had a limited route tree due to Notre Dame, but at the same time, though, was it because of Notre Dame limiting to him, or they just wanted to do what he was really good at, which was stretching the field? And with that, his uh, year, I was watching a game against him versus Clemson in the playoffs. I believe it was the playoffs. And uh, he was going against their, their best corner. And the one thing that he was doing, he was literally drawing PI calls all the time. Well, not all the time, but most most of the majority of the game, he was his whole point was to stretch the field. Either he catch it or he draw, or he'll draw the the PI call. And also, with that happening, it left the underneath game available for the tight end or drag routes or you know the bang gates. Everything was open underneath. So, uh, what what would you uh, what what would be your opinion on that, Ken? Well, you know, the way you've described it here, and, and honestly, I didn't watch Boykin a ton at Notre Dame looking for things like that. Obviously, I watched him run routes, watched plenty of highlights, and and, and watched individual game. But in his case, uh, that's or what you, in terms of what you described, it sounds like Torrey Smith. And the, the Ravens, are, for several years in there, Flacco to Smith had a favorite route design based on the rollout, you know, a... a Basically, a, a zone block left, naked boot right is how I always would write it down when it would show up, uh, where he would roll to the right, create time and space, and throw up a deep ball down that right side on Tory as his first read. And that would create pass interference calls at a regular rate. In fact, one year, and I think it was his second year in the league, might have been 2011, might have been 2012, he had the three longest pass interference calls drawn in the entire NFL. They were 50, 50, and 60 yards. And so the Ravens have lacked that. And and part of that uh, is Jackson doesn't throw out the numbers, uh, throw outside the numbers as often. And second, he naturally kind of increases the time to throw by, by – um, uh, not necessarily by leaving the pocket, but he certainly can leave the pocket. Doesn't do it intentionally on plays that are designed necessarily to create four seconds of time the way Flacco did. 
Yes, sir. And you hit it around the money when it comes to everything you just said. And, and the thing that really sort of, it, it really, it's a blessing in disguise if we did that uh, more often with the, the naked boot with Jackson because you're having three levels of uh, opportunities to attack, not only with your legs, that's also, that's like the, 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 the kill, the fail switch, I would call it. You know, if everything else is just going, going downhill, you know, drag. And our biggest contributor on our team, other than our run game, is the tight end. So the intermediate route weren't, the intermediate routes would be open, especially with uh, Andrews in the Y in the Y position or the y, in the slot as a big as a big Y, and then also with um, Marquise or Hollywood as we want to call him doing the drag route. So basically, how everyone schemed us is basically if we can just bracket the field off to where we can keep everything underneath contained, and then we can just basically shade coverage to a Hollywood side. We're giving the X an opportunity. We're we're asking you, can you beat us with the X? And that's what I saw in that Tennessee game. Did, did you see the same sort of set of issue that I'm pointing out in that Tennessee uh, playoff game, sir? I, I think that they, they definitely did not try to beat Tennessee deep the way you should try and beat a team deep when they commit so much to the line of scrimmage. There's no doubt about that. And they used Logan Ryan, in particular the slot corner, much more in terms of controlling that line of scrimmage effectively. So, yeah, I I agree with that point entirely. And and, and having those three levels is very useful. In fact, it's so necessary with a quarterback like Flacco who's not going to do a lot with his legs. But uh, with Jackson... There's an additional opportunity there because he can create space outside that pocket to extend even a bootleg play that you can go back over the middle of the field. And so I think some of that onus has to fall to Boykin in terms of his ability to find space for the football to be thrown to him. And obviously it's a trust thing for for Jackson to find space for him, not on any of those three routes down the right side. So let's say he's not involved in that. He's part of the blocking scheme or he's, you know, he's a receiver who's not included directly in the uh, uh, in, in those three levels. And oftentimes it's you have seven guys selling it, but it can be only six. So that yes, would leave sir. room for Boykin to do it and, and find space somewhere else on that field. Absolutely. But, yeah, that's like my biggest. Uh, that's the biggest thing. The issue I see is the fact that, like I said, we we asked we demand our receivers to uh, learn our scheme, blocking our scheme and which is fine. They have no issue with that it's just the fact that what are we taking that's good from them and adjusting into our game plan and, and the only one that i see that we're doing that for is uh hollywood currently mm-hmm. hopefully we readjust to that to that um do you do you see the same thing or do you think that it will happen with the adjustment sir I think I think what's what I'm really liking, and unfortunately, I see it most with Hollywood. I'm not seeing it with the other receivers. Those guys are, you know, effectively best friends. It's a great situation to have. the The thing, the working out together, even in the in the COVID environment that we've had, uh, has been terrific. And I don't know if you've seen the video recently of of Hollywood catching balls from the jugs gun. He looks unbelievable, buff, uh, unbelievable hands. I mean, I, I'm I couldn't be more excited about what he's going to do this year. Oh man, like I think we have our own Tariq Hill to be honest with you. Like that's that's my comparison with the speed factor and just the fact that basically the whole point of where I was like the whole thing and the the biggest pipe dream is basically we don't we're not trying to recreate the Chiefs Chiefs whatsoever. Let's the run game is our bread and butter. We we know that, but at the same time though. 
we need to use Marquise Brown to let other people be able to uh, exceed, you know, exceed expectations. And that's why I think Devin DuVernay, uh, I don't know how in the world he got the, the title as a slot guy, which he can play slot, but he did a lot of his work in his early years at, at Texas on the outside running deep routes. So with that being said, he's a well-rounded receiver and, and I can see Devin DuVernay just being, I guess, a smaller version of Sammy Watkins. I don't know if you uh, watch Sammy Watkins' game, but he has the art of deception with route running, and it's beautiful because he can stretch the field in so many different ways with uh, a double move or just buying space with a big body catch. Same thing with DuVernay does. And uh, what do you think, sir? Yeah, those are some fantastic thoughts. So I think DuVernay got the reputation as a slot guy because he had 100 slot catches last year. So that, that probably did it. And and you're right that he moved there, and earlier in his career he had been more of an outside receiver. So I think it's definitely a possibility. One of the things the Ravens do is they, they usually use their motion on their tight end, or often do, but the, the one exception to that has been Snead. And I think sure. he's a he's a fairly significant upgrade to Snead in terms of how he will force a defense to react to him as a motion guy, which pretty much does peg him to that slot role. So they will get, they'll get him, you know, to to basically have the defense give themselves away as a great read for Lamar when he crosses the formation before the you know as the ball is being snapped. Also gets a good release. You know, the coverage is going to have to flow with him, and and with his 439 speed is going to have to be much more you know, fearful of him than they are of Snead. And then I think that's going to create some opportunities there. I, I, I think in the NFL anyway, it's going to be natural for a smaller guy like DuVernay to, to end up being a slot guy. And he's a, a ball of muscle, I think, who can who can really add something out of the slot as a as a blocker too. At least I hope he can. Every time, sir, when I see Devin DuVernay, I don't know why. Maybe because I, I used to be huge. I'm a, I'm a huge college football ball guy my favorite team is Miami Hurricanes but so when I, I see Devin DuVernay I instantly think of Percy Harvin I don't know how you feel about that or what you think about it but Percy Harvin was like the guy that could literally you can do so many creative things with them to yep. where yes yeah uh, what, what were you gonna say Ken? yeah no it's 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 a great comp for him I, I I love it and it'll be fantastic if he works out as well as Percy Harvin did that that'd be great Yes, sir. Especially with the say with the the speed sweeps or just you throw them in a the backfield, motion them out. Just be as creative as you want to be because of the fact that now it's one of those things where how you you're able to expose that linebacker or that Mike. You know he's yeah the Mike. You don't is really a linebacker going to keep up with uh, with uh, Devin Duvernay? I was going to call Percy Harvin. Wow, mm-hmm. with no there's not a linebacker that's going to be able to stay foot for foot with that guy. So. It's putting people in a bind to where do we really want to play a single high look or do we want to have that linebacker out there on those conditions? Uh, that's what that's how I look at it, sir. All right. Hey, Garnet, outstanding stuff. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on the show with us. Uh, tell people where they can find you on Twitter, because I know a lot of people are looking for great football conversation, but you want to get a follow in on Garnet and, and get in the same group he's groups he's in. Yes, sir. So uh, with that being said, my uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Garnett478, just how you say it. So it's like, okay, so just to throw that out there, it's G-A-R-N-E-T. It's not two T's, it's just one T. And then uh, those are 478 at the end. And um, I got a buddy of mine, I forgot to mention this too, that we're going to like try to do a get together and just do a podcast. He's a, uh, a, a, a Patriots fan. 
But the thing about it, we're just fair and firm, just like how you you are, sir. And we just keep it, we just keep it real. Like uh, I, I'm still, it's in it's in the working, and I'm just working on it now. But yeah, that's where you can find me for now, though. Garnet four seven eight on Twitter. Make sure, make sure when you do, you send that to me. I'll retweet it and make sure we gave you a list in there because that, that'll be some great content, I'm sure, Garnet. Oh yes, sir. Most definitely, I will, sir. All right. We'll talk to you another time, my friend. All right. You, you stay safe out there, buddy. All right, next up, we have Mike Champagne all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. We won't hate him for that. Uh, he says he adopted the city. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I was very lucky after I had spent a year in Alaska. I wanted to move to uh, the East Coast where I have some family. Um, it just happened to be in Patriot Country, but I've been a Ravens fan ever since I was a kid. I see you got your Northeastern T-shirt there. That's a big school if you want to take actuarial uh uh, courses you go to Northeastern. But anyway, <laughs> yes, that's why I'm there for communications. I love it. Um, yeah, so I was really excited to uh, be able to to come on the show today. Okay, you, and you want to talk about Lamar Jackson? Yes, I do. Um, there have been quite a few uh, conversations on Twitter about the regression that Lamar will see, um, and I wanted to speak to that today. Okay, so do, do you have a, a specific question, or you'll respond to that in general? Um, it was in general, but I guess if I was going to say a specific question, Ken, do you foresee Lamar's regression as um, a change in scheme uh, based on what defenses will do, or based on Lamar's progression as a passer? Okay, so I get asked this question once in a while, but I'll say this, that that he had one of the greatest individual seasons in the history of the National Football League, arguably the greatest. It was number one in AV, uh, which is just one statistic to look at it. But uh, it was certainly one of the great offenses of all time, led by one player's contributions more than anything. And all teams are trying to adapt to that. It's easier for other teams to adapt and drag down Lamar Jackson than it is for Lamar Jackson to outpace the league by more in his next season. So I, I do expect regression. I don't expect him to have nearly as good a year. You almost, it would be almost impossible. Um, statistically, I expect a step back. And I think he could be 85% of the same mm -hmm. player and still be outstanding. And the Ravens would have no problem going to the Super Bowl if that were the case. But, uh, you know, it's, it's always possible. I, we don't even have to get into injury to talk about the possibility that, you know, he's, he's likely to take a step back. Mm -hmm. And and with the turnover in offensive line, is there a potential for um, that that to play a factor in the regression? I, I think so. I mean, the, the offensive line, it would be difficult for them to be as good as they were last year. Mm -hmm. But what I'll say about it is most of that was due to Jackson. So so the tackle play in particular, uh, Jackson does a great job of setting up his tackles because they can't two-way go as much on from the outside in terms of the rush. Mm -hmm. So that really sets up Orlando Brown. You probably heard me talk about that before, is that yes. he can anchor that bull rush, which is which is definitely his strength as a pass blocker. And if if anybody tries to go to the outside or really, you know, tries to 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 beat uh, beat him mm -hmm. with anything but a straight up bull rush, then you're running the risk that Jackson's gonna escape the pocket and, and go for a run. Right. Uh, I think on the on the left side, they're very fortunate that Stanley's big quality is that he keeps his feet in front of uh, the opponent very well. Mm -hmm. And so Jackson had a good opportunity when he was giving ground to the bull rush to feel that pressure and move away from it effectively. So we saw historically low numbers per PFF of pressures. I, I thought 
actually have a, I grade by a slightly different standard. I mm-hmm. thought Stanley actually gave up more pressure than that, but that's okay. It's, I, I agree with the concept in general that Stanley had an outstanding pass blocking year and Lamar was able to escape what little pressure came from that side. And is there a lot of concern with the um, kind of mismatch of um, adding Phillips, Bredesen and Folker to the offensive line rotation um, potentially being um, so new to the system? Well, yeah, they're all new guys. Fluker is certainly not a not a newbie to the NFL in general. He's been sure. a starter since day one, even though he's been a little bit of a disappointment being the number, I think, number 11 pick overall seven years ago. So I think he's a, um, uh, you know, he's a guy who may fit in as a starter right away. They certainly signed him with the with the with the look that he could be a starter um, with. With Powers, he'll he'll still be there. I, mm-hmm. I sorry, not Powers. I meant uh, Bozeman. I believe he'll still be there. Yep. If Skur is healthy, I believe he'll be the guy, and and then we'll see uh, uh, where Powers fits in this. I I do expect because he's the incumbent and he has a year of practice um, at the position that he's he's probably the favorite to be at left guard. But okay. some of the, uh, sorry at right guard. But the but the uh, but it's been funny that DaCosta has mentioned Bozeman as a potential center. It's kind of thrown off some of that. So. Yeah. And uh, if I recall correctly, Bozeman was a center at uh, Alabama, correct? Yes. He took reps there. Yes. Um, And then moving back to Lamar Jackson, uh, Coach Harbaugh has been quoted saying that he wants Jackson to get more consistent on certain throws. Are there any throws in particular that you think that Jackson needs to improve on? Well, he's not a threat outside. I should say. Yeah. Uh, He's not a threat right now outside the numbers. And, and it would be nice if he would do two things. One is maybe pick up a more standardized boot that he could throw outside the numbers deep, and that would be more of a regular threat they'd go to. But he seems to like to throw deep from the pocket, and the Ravens, mm-hmm. frankly, with how long the pass um, protection was holding up this last year, gave him plenty of opportunities to do so. Even when he had to move slightly, it wasn't a big deal. Um, but, but, he's, but he's not like Flacco running a naked boot that, that, that's setting that up. Uh, and then he, I think that um, he really needs to develop a hitch connection with some receiver. Boykin may be the guy, or it may be Brown, uh, where on the outside they have a great comeback route that they can regularly do. Because you really have to have that to have that two-way go and really have the double move that'll 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 create a deep route opportunity. So those those are the I think the the routes I'd like to see more of. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm, I'm really hoping that DuVernay, when he comes in, um, can improve his uh, route running just a, just a tiny bit so that um, he can use both his speed and his amazing hands and strength after the catch to help open up other routes that um, would allow Jackson to really shine. Um, but again, that speaks just to the fact that uh, the running regression that he may see could be related to uh, a, diff- a difference in scheme towards passing. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I I think I think it's unlikely that the Ravens will have the kind of balance that they did this last year uh, okay. of 200 yards per game each way. I think it's more likely because I think that a lot of the 200 game per game running was based on the Ravens consistently having pretty good leads this year. That that'll probably come down slightly. The passing probably will go up slightly, and they might they might average 400 yards a game again. But uh, but that they they would get it slightly differently than they did before. I think that's a that's a reasonable expectation. Absolutely. All right. Well, Michael, we appreciate you coming on the show with us and and, and talking with us for a few minutes about this. Uh, tell them tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. Come find me at Mike underscore Champagne. Uh, I always follow back. 
Okay, that's terrific, Mike. We we, uh, we always want to give our our friends of the show and longtime listeners. Uh, I, Please follow them. Get into the discussion with them because you, you do. If you if you tag me, you'll always get a lot of analysts looking at your stuff. I'll try and comment on what you do. I do try and always respond to things. But the but the other followers here that you can gain by that, that listen to the show also tend to be very technically astute, as you've just heard from Mike here, and make great people to, to converse with about football. So, Mike, thanks for thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me, Ken. Marcus Weiss, a long Weiss, a long time. Friend of the show, Marcus. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Ken. Everything good with you? I can't complain. We always got to ask that now with uh, with the current environment. I'm I'm gonna be happy when we no longer have to. You know, it's uh just the way life is right now. But we want to talk about what your biggest concerns are for the 2020 Ravens. Right now would be backup tackle and defensive end and outside linebacker as far as the pass rush is concerned. All right, so let's let's talk about offensive tackle right now. So the Ravens, you're, I assume you're satisfied with the starting tackles. Yes. All right, so it's mainly about not having uh, you know that extra guy, and I couldn't agree more that the the Ravens appear in everywhere short uh, there at offensive tackle, and they they really don't have a feet guy. I I'm shudder to think what would happen. I really don't have any idea what they do at this point if Ronnie Stanley went down for a couple of games. Yeah, because I'm not really big on Andre Smith. I, I don't see him being that good to be able to run with our offensive line. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's maybe a little bit unlikely he makes the team. Uh, we'll see. I, they didn't guarantee him a lot of money. I don't believe it might have been twenty five or $50,000. So if, if they cut him, it's okay. Um, Andre Smith is probably hoping to stick and, and get a ring, but he's certainly not expecting to play much. At least I don't believe he is. Yeah, I just see him being a camp body, to to be honest with you. Well, that means, you know, one of the possibilities could be that they would live with the risk for four games and then maybe get James Hurst back. I'm not really that excited about that as an option, but honestly, given the set of alternatives they have right now, I think it might be the best thing out there. Yeah, and Hurst, I mean, Hurst played well at guard. To me, he seems to be a better guard than tackle. Yeah, exactly. My thought is his his experiences at left tackle have been quite bad. He did last year the one game, actually one of the two games, because he started against Pittsburgh, also started against the Jets. The game against the Jets, he played pretty well at left tackle. It was his second best of 17 career starts at left tackle at that point. And then he played against Pittsburgh, and he, and he didn't play well. So, I, you know, what do you really expect from your backup tackle? Do you, are you okay with a guy who's a D-plus grade kind of thing? Because that really is the replacement level, you know, that you're that – you're, I don't expect them to be the A plus like Stanley and, and and Orlando Brown, but I do expect them to be serviceable. And to me, Andy Smith is not serviceable, and neither was um, Hurst at tackle. Yeah, they have a they have a bunch of guys who played left tackle in college, but really don't have the feet for it. Uh, Tyree Phillips has the length to play left tackle. He played that at Mississippi State, but he doesn't have the feet. No, that's apparent in, in, from his college tape. You don't you don't really need to look any further than that. Uh, he does have those great lockout arms, though, so maybe maybe he could he could get by for the rest of a game, you know, if that would were to ever come up. Uh, and then they've got some other guys like McCary, who who may do with very short arms at California and was fairly effective as a pot, pass blocker. Uh, I don't I don't think it would work as well at left tackle in the NFL. Uh, what about Dixon? Uh, I'm sorry, which Dixon? 
Dixon, the one that the undrafted free agent that we, that we signed recently. Oh, actually, I really don't know anything about him. I, I, hopefully, I mean, if they've pulled a rabbit out of their hat there and they've got a guy who they think can play left tackle, that'd be fantastic. Of course, the last big UDFA left tackle they did sign originally and, and stuck with the team was Hurst. Yeah, but Hurst is more of a swing tackle, so I don't, I, he's not a true tackle. He was coming out of North Carolina. I think they definitely wanted him to be the left tackle, the backup left tackle. And it was a, it was a situation where in 2014, they had Monroe starting at right tackle. And then he had a lot, sorry, at left tackle. And he had a lot of injury problems. So, but you're right. I mean, you know, Hurst, yeah, he, he now certainly is a guard slash tackle. Uh, you know, a guy who they, I don't think they, they could depend upon in the, uh, uh, you know, to, to play a whole season, certainly at left tackle, that would be, that would be not what the Ravens need. But let's talk about your other concern too, because I want to get to edge rusher a little bit and, and uh, talk about your fear there. My biggest issue is the fact that we got a lot of young, unproving guys and we got, and we're hoping that they make the next step like Ferguson and Bowser and all. I'm whole I'm, Hopeful that Bowser will take that next step in Ferguson as well, but we just don't know. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, you know, in in the case of uh, Bowser, I thought he actually added a lot to the pass rush this this last year because he had the ability to drop to coverage, and that allowed the Ravens to use a lot of different pass rush vectors, to use a lot of different scheme to get pressure where they weren't able to win one on one battles. And so Bowser has a little bit of slipperiness to the outside and certainly provided a little bit of pass rush to get five sacks. But, you know, I think if we're counting on him to move forward to eight and a half sacks, say, or, or to, to, you know, have a much more significant impact on pressures and quarterback hits and whatnot, as Judon did this last year, I think that's probably less likely to happen. And they need to scheme for pressure the way they did last year. Again, kind of lean on their great cornerback situation to be able to hold that, hold that, uh, uh, the quarterback up a little longer for pressure to develop with some of the scheme that the Ravens can throw at them. Yeah. See, I don't want to tax the secondary that much. If I don't have to, we need to get a veteran in there that can win one-on-one somebody like a Clay Matthews, where you could probably get away with giving him $3 million a year and, and it won't break our salary cap because we don't have really have that much room left. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that, he is the kind of player I think they can afford at this point. And as time pushes forward, players like Clowney are going to figure out that there's not a market for them in terms of multi-year deals. And one of the interesting you know, ripples in all the COVID-19 stuff is, is how is this really impacting teams' willingness to go sign long-term contracts? Because there is a risk of a reduction in the salary cap coming up that could really impair teams that are in the early stages of long-term contracts. So you sign Clowney, you might be on the hook for, for his money, and that might be a lot more money than it was in terms of the salary cap in past years. So you don't want to be in the early stages of a long-term contract. Yeah, because, I mean, you figure now, if they're going to play games without fans in the stands, that could really cause the cap to go down next year instead of going up like it has been going up, what, $10, $15 million a year. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and and that's a that's a uh, that's a good point that they'll they'll end up you know your your dollars are worth that you have left are worth more, and so teams that have managed their cap very well will be in a better situation to shop, and there'll be a bunch of teams. I'm looking at the Los Angeles Rams, a very top-heavy team, a lot of really big contracts there, and that's most of what they have, 
And they're going to have a lot of trouble readjusting to a world where their dollars are worth um, more uh, and they don't have any. <laughs> you I mean, know, you figure be... they pay they pay golf all that money they gave um, the running back whose whose name Gurley. escapes me they gave uh, yeah Gurley all that money they gave Donald all that money they're going to be in trouble next year if the cap goes down. Yep, and I I don't I don't even know if they signed Jalen Ramsey yet or if they're they haven't. Okay, so they're still working on it. So he's he's a free agent right now. He will be a free agent. I don't okay. know if he's an actual free agent yet, but I mean. If the cap goes down, how are they going to afford to give him twenty some odd million dollars a year, which is what he's going to want? Okay, that's you know it's a good point, but by waiting on Ramsey, they're doing the right thing. If they've got him for this year, that's right, it was because they had a rental on him that was like a season and a half. Right. So effectively, if they wait till the end of this contract, the Rams will be in a better position to sign him and at least to know what the situation would be from a reduced cap. That's a good point. I mean, like with us, we still got to get Stanley signed, and, and we know Stanley's going to get twenty-three to twenty-four, somewhere between twenty-three and twenty-five million dollars a year. Hopefully, it'll be over five years instead of three. Yeah, I, I would think it, it won't be like Tunsil's deal exactly, and it would it would surprise me if it's as much per annum, uh, given when he's signing. I think the, the Texans made a very unwise move. And I don't think the Ravens will say, well, the Texans jumped off the bridge. We're going to jump off as well. I think Stanley will get a contract that represents almost the top of the market. But the fact that Tunsil got all this money from the Texans isn't necessarily going to mean that Stanley gets even more. In fact, if the if it waits till next year to happen and the world is different, well, the world is different. I'm sorry. And it's it's you know, it may be it may be 18 million, 19 million a year because of the cap reduction. From what I was, from what I've been hearing, that a lot of GMs are going to wait till next year before they start doling out these contracts because because of just that they just don't know how it's going to how the cap is going to be. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's certainly what we're seeing. I mean, we we kind of expected that Marlon Humphrey might be a guy they were even talking to that they would get the Stanley deal done this offseason almost for sure. And that Humphrey might be a guy they're talking to as well and getting his deal done a year early because they have Humphrey under control for two more years with this fourth year of his deal and the fifth year option still. But but with Stanley, this is it. After this year, he's a free agent. So they're going to have to go to the salary cap to uh, sorry to the franchise tag. And by the way, that's going to be something nobody's going to want to use. The franchise tag is going to be very inflated because it's going to include all of the existing contracts. So you're not going to want to sign a guy. Uh, for that franchise number next year. But I think it is affecting Matt Judon, for example, who uh, the Ravens could sign, is not getting a deal right now. And I think that that's, has part to do with it. I think Judon also is probably waiting on Clowney to sign to see what he gets so he know how, so the market can be set for that. But I got a funny feeling it's not going to be as high as he think it's going to be. Yeah, I, I, that's that's where I am too. So we'll we'll see how all this salary stuff plays out. Uh, Marcus, we, we really appreciate you coming on and, and being such a friend of the show over the years. Thank you for, for all of what you do on Twitter. I want to make sure people know how to get to you. Can you spell out your Twitter handle for folks so they can they can get follow you and get in on some great football discussion? It's my first initial and my last name, W-Y-C-H-E, the number two. Okay, so M-Y-C-H-2. Yes. Okay, fantastic. Marcus? Thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you next time, I hope. And always appreciate all your commentary, my friend. All right, Ken. Keep up the great work. You know I love your work. All right. Thanks, Marcus. Bye-bye. All right. Talk to you later.
Right. Next up, we have Matthew Wan. Matthew, thanks for joining us today. I understand you have some concerns about the 2020 Ravens path. Yeah, you know, I think you know we all enjoyed the the ride last season, but you know, I'm a little bit worried in terms of our pass rush, how we get to the passer, um, you know, how that's going to play out in the season, but more importantly in the playoffs. Um, and I think according to PFF, we got we were pretty good in terms of getting pressure, but we did it by blitzing at 54.5%, which is well almost double the league average. Um, and we were only 27th in pass rush grade. So looking at how well our individual players are winning their matchups. So I just worry that that's, you know, going to come back to bite us in the playoffs once we get to, you know, better quarterbacks like last year. Okay. The, uh, it's an interesting that the, the, the PFF win rate is a, is something you're pointing to here. Um, the, the Ravens, obviously they, they, uh, Blitz mainly by scheme last year. They've provided pressure mainly by scheme. It was a combination of things. They did a lot of stunting last year, which they now have players who can do that at even a higher level. So that's going to be good. They did a lot of drops by having the luxury of having two Sam linebackers on the field at the same time. They have two good coverage guys. And when I say Sam linebackers, they're obviously both not playing on the strong side with the tight end but they're both able to drop to coverage and provide you that flexibility for nine of your 11 players on defense to blitz. So you got any 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 of nine guys can rush. And in fact, he did something I'd never seen before in, in team history against the Rams. They they rushed both outside cornerbacks <laughs> on the same play and got a sack. So that's a, I think the flexibility of Martindale to do that and what he's done to get pressure has been been the the antidote for not having the one on one winners, as you mentioned. Right. I think it's funny to see how the coaching works with the front office in that way where we're not really investing in that position. So we're sort of de-skilling it by just, you know, creating all these different, you know, matchups that individually might not be great one-on-one, but, um, you know, overall are getting the job done. So, but, you know, just looking back at the Super Bowl teams from the last few years, they've all had, you know, kind of a dominant, you know, pass rusher, like the Chiefs with, you know, Clark, the 49ers, all their players, the Rams with Sue, Donald. Pats are probably most like us with Trey, Trey Flowers when they won, you know, with not another, a lot of other great players. Um, and the Eagles, of course, had a really good pass rush. So, uh, you know, I get that, you know, the, the, we had a lot of success last year. There's no question about that. And one thing, I, you know, I did see that, um, you know, PFF said we got pressure on 50.5% of, of plays where we stunted last year after week five, which is, you know, pretty promising with Calais Campbell. I think he could be a good addition there, but you know, we're just still relying on a lot of older players um, at the pa- right. at those sort of pass rush positions. So there's always that sort of age cliff, you know, fear. Right. I, I have that fear big time on the defensive line. In fact, it was really one of the big draft questions the Ravens had. I think they addressed it with, you know, by taking a couple younger interior defensive linemen this last year. But uh, but it's certainly age with everybody else effect- effectively over 30 that, uh, that got any snaps last year. Daylon Mack got eight snaps at, at age 23, but uh, the rest of the team is very old there, and, and they, they need to prepare for the next generation. Probably we'll spend two more picks there in this next draft, and that's two of six, not just two of ten this last year. So it, uh, you know, it's going to be more of a more of a drain on what they do. But I agree with you. There's uh, they they uh, you know ideally would have another individual pass rush winner. I think you know some of What's going on now maybe has prevented them from jumping in with Clowney uh, on a multi-year deal or even Clowney on a single-year deal they really can't afford. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're in a position where they really have, 
have decided they're going to need to do it with scheme again this year. Right. And that's, you know, I think, you know, the key, well, other than, other than Campbell, the key piece we have is Judon. And I really thought they were going to deal him before the draft. Um, if we dealt him, we would be in a position to, you know, have had an extra draft pick or more or a couple picks and, you know, pay, you know, we could have paid Clowney what he's asking if we weren't paying Judon that big tag salary. So, you know, that's one of the sort of few, um, you know, criticisms I would have with the front office this offseason. Because Judon, you know, he he's he's good but not great. You know, I think PFF said he, you know, he won, you know, with our scheme. You know, over half of his production in terms of pass rush was, you know, either unblocked or, or clean up. Yeah, and it's a it's a legitimate point, and some of what some of that free run that Judon got was of his own manufacture. I mean, he was very good at delaying his own blitz from the line of scrimmage, which is very unusual. But we saw that in a couple instances during this year. You know, it's it's not fair to say Judon was not a finisher this year. I mean, he led he was fourth in the league in quarterback hits. Uh, and, you know, he really did a great job. The Ravens as a team, I believe, led the league in quarterback kits. And they definitely led the league in um, uh, roughing the passer penalties, which is the thing <laughs> that goes with it. Uh, Judon avoided a, any roughing the passer penalties. did have a horse collar tackle on Watson, I believe it was, uh, at one point. But he, but he had a, a very clean season penalty-wise in terms of avoiding the, the uh, cost of doing business hits that go with a lot of quarterback hits. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and he's a, a player that, you know, we're kind of, you know, really, I, I hate I hate the franchise tag overall, you know, but this is, yeah, one of those rare situations where a team is maybe a player away and, you know, wants that extra year, you know, at that high salary for him. So, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're fortunate. They do need to transfer dollars on this team, I feel like, from defense to offense. And so they're going to have some opportunities next year. I think this will be Earl Thomas's last year in Baltimore, I would guess. That he'll he'll be released as a six million dollar cap gain from doing so, and uh, the also with in Judon's case he's obviously comes off the books, but they need to find a way to generate money for the offense to be used there. Right, and that's why you know failing to invest at at, at pass rusher you know to me is just you know I think that was kind of one of the one of the misses in the draft I think I mean mm-hmm. in terms of players that still have team control after this year, it's really just just Ferguson with two more years after 2020 and one yeah. more year with Campbell, we count him in there. So yeah, it's it's Ferguson because you, you, the, the years you want are the years on the first contract that are cheap, but Ferguson is really the only one. They need to step back from a step up from him to such a degree, but you analyze the roster exactly as I would Humphrey will be in the last year, but it's an expensive year under the option value. Uh, come 2021 and there is nobody else. The cupboard is bare. They signed Clark. So he doesn't even have a cheap year in 20. Not really. He's, he's paid a veteran market value uh, salary. And so it, it'll be all in terms of the draft picks this year, Matabuke and Matabike, uh, how good he is. Um, and, and yeah, wh- whoever they draft next year, of course, as well. Yeah. And I, I just don't love Ferguson's prospect profile. He's, he's big, which is good, but you know, not very athletic, you know, sort of a lower level of competition. He played a lot of snaps. I was surprised he played, I think 51% of snaps last year, but only got a 58, you know, PFF grade, you know, didn't, you know, stopping the runs probably going to be his calling card. And he wasn't great at that year one, at least. So. Yep. I, I, uh, I, yeah, I have him for 460. Sorry, that's the wrong thing. 504 snaps, 52.3%, but I don't include penalties. So 
I, I might v- differ slightly from PFF, but yeah, I thought what I what I liked about Ferguson was that he got better at setting the edge as the year went on. And if you think back to that San Francisco game, the Ravens really got gashed for uh, two quarters plus five minutes, 35 minutes of that game in terms of a lot of outside runs. And Ferguson was on that side for almost every single one of them. And then they actually had to bring in Ward to replace Ferguson. And I thought, well, that may just mean that he's going to play less the whole rest of the year. They're going to they're going to lean on Ward to play the run more. But Ferguson actually came back and played the run pretty effectively the rest of the year, as I saw it. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to believe in that. And you know, he's got the he's got the size, the arm length, all those you know, at least physical you know, maybe not athleticism, but physical attributes to play to play the run really well as a, as a positive going forward. Yeah, two things he needs to do in terms of I thought positional specific gains to be a better player. And, and one is in terms of setting the edge, uses length exceptionally well, especially with one hand is longer than two mentality against some of the bigger right tackles and even tight ends because tight ends can be six, seven and have a pretty good reach. But uh, to, to make sure that he keeps his one arm free on the outside to make tackles more effectively. And the, and the other thing is he's a natural bull rusher, which tends to get him into the backfield. It certainly was a help for Suggs for many years in terms of playing the run to kind of close off that edge or at least make it create a natural bubble that comes from being a, you know, a step into that backfield forces that running back to kind of go around and allows help to show up. Yeah. And I think, yeah, if anyone's going to take a leap second year, it's going to be a guy coming out of the, you know, the mountain West. So yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to believe the, you know, the, the, the happy good path for, for Jalen going forward. Outstanding stuff, Matthew. I mean, obviously if I'm hearing you talk, my first reaction is I want to make sure I, I follow this guy on Twitter and talk with him. How, how can they do that? Uh, I'm at uh, Aloha X Omega on Twitter. Okay, I assume that's the word Omega and not the symbol Omega. Right. That would be really weird and difficult. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, we really appreciate you on. I hope a lot of people will give you a follow. Make sure some of these other people have been on the show. You you uh, you, you certainly give them a follow, but include them in your discussions. Tag them occasionally. And I think you'll find good partners. And and uh, it's Ravens Flock is a fantastic community for discussing things with, and, and hopefully you'll uh, uh, pick up additional friends there to talk football with online. Matthew, Great. thanks for being on. Thanks, Matthew. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.